If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Alright, good evening and welcome to episode 7 of the Yapping Yankees podcast where of course we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host Mike Scudero here on this very nice Sunday evening, August 4th, 2019. Well, it has been a while. No Yapping Yankees last week, of course, as I mentioned two weeks ago. And uh, I wasn't here because as I mentioned two weeks ago, I went on vacation for a week and I did end up visiting Wisconsin, first off going to Milwaukee, then I went to a town called Appleton, and then I went to Green Bay. So a lot of fun, and it, it is it is great to be back here, but it was also, it was nice to have a, a week off from doing the podcast, but it, I started to miss it. Like, when Sunday came around last week and it came time to do it, I was like, ah, oh, today it feels kind of empty, but, but now this Sunday comes around on August 4th, and here we are again. But the vacation itself was a lot of fun. It started off in Milwaukee, and the main reason we went to Milwaukee was because I wanted to check out Miller Park, where the Brewers play. Now, I've explained in the past that every summer, I try to visit one stadium outside of New York because I have a hope one day of visiting all 30 baseball stadiums. So that's a dream of mine. I would love to see all the ballparks around baseball. It's a big, big vision of mine. Just somewhere down the line in the next 20-some-odd years or so, having visited all 30 and of course, maybe after that much time, maybe even another one will go up, maybe another one for me to visit, who knows. But for now, that is an aspiring hope of mine, I hope to do that one day. But I did check out Miller Park, I went to a game in which the Cubs faced the Brewers, which the environment there was a lot of fun because it's a very intense divisional rivalry between the two fan bases and the team overall. But I have to tell you, Miller Park was beautiful. And I have to be honest, I've seen... I've seen quite a few stadiums outside of New York now, and there hasn't been a stadium that I have not liked, but Miller Park was was gorgeous. I mean, this place, I think they said it opened in 2001. It's open for almost 20 years, and it was a hell of a stadium, and it's cool because it has a retractable roof, which I know the reason why they don't do that all around baseball, despite me thinking that they should. You know, it's, it's about the money. It costs a lot to put those things up. I get it. But I'm a strong believer in the fact that I think every stadium around baseball should have these retractable roofs. They're so convenient, it would prevent rain delays and rainouts. And you just put the roof up whenever weather conditions are not likable or whenever they're, you know, they're just not habitable to certain people to in- properly enjoy a baseball game. And I was looking forward to seeing what the stadium would look like open and closed. And it's pretty significant because... It was funny because halfway through the game, they closed the roof. So so the first half of the game, give or take, I got to see it with the roof open. And then the second half, give or take, I got to see it with the roof closed. So it was really, really cool. And most of the game, it was kind of a snooze fest, honestly, because the Cubs scored, I believe it was two runs or maybe even just a solo shot. I don't remember it too well. It was almost a week ago already. So, no, it actually, it actually was a week ago. So... It was a week ago, and I I believe Anthony Rizzo hit either a solo shot or a two-run homer. And that was really the only scoring that happened for a while into the game. 
it was very quiet. I believe it was a two-run homer now that I think about it. The Cubs went through most of the game with a 2 to nothing lead. And then the Brewers had a few opportunities to score throughout the rest of the game, but for the most part, it was quiet. It was a quiet offensive game, so it went by pretty fast. But then the Brewers came back at the end, tied the game, and then they won it. <laughs> they went to the 10th inning. They won it off Craig Kimbrell because, of course, he's the closer of the Cubs now. It was a crazy game. I got to see a walk-off in another stadium outside of New York. It was an awesome time. So on top of seeing an awesome game, I saw a beautiful stadium. It was, just, it was awesome. I really enjoyed Milwaukee. It's a nice, it's a nice city, ni- very nice people. There were nice people all around Wisconsin. I really enjoyed it there. But the ballpark was something else. And we stayed at a Best Western that was right by it, and they had a shuttle that went from the ballpark to the stadium, from the ballpark to the hotel, rather. And it was, it was really nice. You know, just hop on the shuttle, go to the ballpark, and then, and then go back to the hotel with the shuttle. It was nice. So that was that. It, it, Milwaukee was awesome. Miller Park, awesome. Then we moved on to Appleton, where we met up with some of my cousins. I haven't seen, I haven't seen my cousin, whose also name is Michael Scudero, by the way. <laughs> I haven't seen him for over 15 years when I was a little kid. I barely even remember him. And then I haven't seen the rest of them since I was a baby. And my dad hadn't seen them because they're on my dad's side. He hadn't seen them for about 25 years, give or take. So it was a really, really nice reunion over there. Had a bunch of fun with them. And then we moved on to Green Bay to wrap up the trip. The trip was five or six days long. And in Green Bay, we took a beautiful tour of... I don't know if, if you follow football, but if you do... You know how historic of the stadium Lambeau Field is where the Green Bay Packers play. And we got to tour Lambeau Field, the Champions Tour, really in-depth. You get to see a lot of the nook and crannies of Lambeau Field. And it was really, it was really, really nice. It was a fun tour. It really was. Great trip overall, five or six days of nothing but fun. But, as I said, even though it was also good to take a week off from the podcast, it did feel empty last Sunday, so I'm glad to be doing it here again. Wisconsin, though, I salute you. Thanks for hosting me for about five or six days. It was a great vacation. And now I can add Miller Park to my visited ballparks list. And those ballparks that I have seen outside of New York so far, I've been to Fenway Park. I've been to Wrigley Field. I've been to Camden Yards. I've been to AT&T Park, now called Oracle Park, where the San Francisco Giants play, of course. And now I've been to Miller Park. I hope I'm not forgetting any. But I've been to a few. And the journey will continue next summer, I think. The two on the table are either Kauffman Stadium, where, of course, the Royals play, or Bush Stadium, where, of course, the Cardinals play. And I hear both stadiums are very nice. Bush Stadium is awesome, and, and Kauffman Stadium is very nice. They have those beautiful waterfalls and right and left center fields. It, it, it just looks really, really nice. And it's a nice, peaceful part of the country, really. So, I, I don't know. I just really look forward to it. It's just a dream of mine to visit all the ballparks outside of New York. So, we will see what happens as far as that's concerned. We'll have to wait a few more summers, and I'll keep you posted. How about that? <laughs> so, before we get into the podcast for real, time for me to give my shout-out, as I do in the beginning of every episode. Time to give a shout-out to Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Be sure to find Team Left Jab across all social media platforms at Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and, of course, the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. I was actually on Team Left Jab almost a week ago, I believe. On Tuesday will be a week. It was while I was in Wisconsin. So, I believe I went on on Tuesday. 
So if you want to go back and listen to me on there almost a week ago, be sure to check out Team Left Jab. Or if you just want to listen to their content, because Sam's got really good content over there. They all do a great job. So be sure to check out Team Left Jab. So let's get into Yapping Yankees, Episode 7. And I'm going to be naming it Dead Silent Deadline, because that's what happened for the Yankees. They did not do much at all. We will definitely get into that in just a bit. But, considering that subject has been beaten to death at this point, I feel, (laughs) especially the day of that it happened, boy, was Twitter on fire. (laughs) So, the hotter news right now, which we'll get into first, of course, is that there has been a resurgence of injuries for the Yankees, and, you know, all of us obviously were really hoping that the, we had seen all the injuries in the time of around end of April, May, even into June, because nearly every single starter on the field was out for injury. And now they seem to be creeping their way back in. The injury bug seems to be making itself known yet again. So, it's it's really, it's building up again, the injury list. And you don't like to see that. You don't. Even though, obviously, as they've proven to us many times this season, the Yankees still have the pieces necessary to get the job done. So that's not an issue. But, you still don't want to see your starting players get injured, of course. Nobody wants to see that. So, the Yanks did have 15 players on the injured list, and now today, Hicks made it 16, because Aaron Hicks yesterday, in the doubleheader against the Red Sox, he made a really hard and far throw into third, in an attempt to keep the runner at second, and he hurt his elbow on the long throw. And... From what I heard, Tommy John's surgery was ruled out, thank God. So, Hicks should just miss some time. How much time? Not really known, of course, because the injury is still pretty fresh. I'm sure that as time goes along, more information will come out. But, as Hicks got hurt, of course, that makes the injured list total at 16 now. Overall, the in- the entire season, there have been well over 20 Yankees that hit the injured list. It's, whew, <laughs> it's a lot of guys. And especially a lot of guys for being over 30 games over 500 and being well up in first place for a while now. And being in first place for the vast majority of 2019 despite the hardships they've had to endure with just the injuries alone. That's more than enough. So that's a really tough break for the Yankees. More, more injuries. And it's, you just hope it ends soon. You just hope it does. Or you wonder, is it ever going to end? <laughs> you, you just don't know. But... I did also get this piece of information. This is information that I did not know of, and I saw it tweeted out by a good friend of mine on Twitter named Jell. You can find her handle. Her name is Little Jell, just without... It's it's L-T-T-L-E-G-E-L, Little Jell, but her name's Jell. You can find her on Twitter. She has over 4,000 followers, good friend of mine. She's awesome. She tweeted this out earlier, and I told her I'd give her a shout-out for it because I do not steal other people's tweets or content. I do not go down that road. <laughs> but... She did tweet out an interesting fact earlier today that I thought interesting to share on the podcast. And she did say that Glaber Torres and DJ LeMahieu are the only Yankee starters that have not been on the injured list this season. So that shows you how valuable they've been. They're the only ones to not hit the injured list. How about that? And you know that with the 2019 Yankees, that's a hell of an accomplishment. That, that is no minor feat with the 2019 Yankees, to dodge the injured list, considering all of them have, basically. And you may say, wait, well, DJ hasn't played every day, and he's been hurt before. Well, never hit the list. 
He's missed a few games, sure. He actually missed games fairly recently with groin tightness. But the groin tightness did not land him an injury list stint. So, he didn't hit the injured list. And Torres, of of course, has been healthy all year. So that's the good thing. I mean, he's had some bumps and bruises along the way, but no injury list landings. So that's an interesting fact, Joe. Thank you for tweeting that out. And I definitely I definitely wanted to feature that on the podcast today. Definitely some good info there. So, along with the news of injuries really making a comeback for the Yankees, which is definitely negative news. Also, another thing that a lot of people would consider negative news, as we'll get into this a little bit now before we get into our usual weekly recap here on the podcast. But as I mentioned before, and the name of this episode of Yapping Yankees, Episode 7, We'll spell it out for you. It was a pretty quiet deadline for those New York Yankees, despite the Astros making their moves and a few more contenders. They acquired Zach Greinke, and a lot of people were asking questions saying why Zach Greinke wasn't pursued by the Yankees or why he isn't a Yankee or whatever the question was involving Zach Greinke and the Yankees. And this news was, pr- was released pretty, f- you know, fairly earlier than the deadline arrived, so I'm Kind of surprised not a lot of people knew this, or maybe they did know and just don't care. But Zach Granke was, uh, had the Yankees on his no-trade list because, you know, he has a no-trade clause. So if his team wants to trade him to another team that he doesn't want to go to, he has the right to block it in his contract. So usually when the trade deadline comes around, a player will put together something called a no-trade list. And on Zach Granke's list were the New York Yankees. So that trade was not happening. But, along with the Astros acquiring Zach Granke, they also acquired Aaron Sanchez from the Toronto Blue Jays, and Sanchez was just, there's no better word to describe it, he was just brutal with the Blue Jays. He really was. I feel he has good stuff. He's always had a good fastball, good off-speed pitches, big curveball. You know, I've always thought he had the potential, and I definitely thought the right when I saw that, I'm like, uh, I think the Astros are going to help him. Well, that got off on that exact foot when he had his Astros debut. Because despite being so dreadful with the Blue Jays, he no-hit the Mariners for six innings last night. (laughs) So, it's just something with the Astros organization. It's just the people that work for the Astros, that work with the pitchers, they have some ability to turn someone's career around. I mean, they did the same with Verlander, they did the same, they ironed out the kinks with Garrett Cole stuff, and now they're doing the same with Aaron Sanchez, who knows what will happen with Zach Greinke. Even though Zach Greinke was having a good season to begin with, who knows what's what you know potentially is going to hit now, even at his age. So it's a scary thing to think about whenever you hear the Astros are targeting starting pitching. Makes you sweat a little bit because they have a lot of people that work in the organization that can really, really get those talents of starters out there, even if they've been having a really crappy year. So this might be the turnaround of Aaron Sanchez. I mean... They did combine no-hit the Mariners. I I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but I really don't care for combined no-hitters. I, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, you, you, you no-hit the other team. Congratulations. It took multiple guys to do it, though. And, you know, what? while it's an accomplishment, I, I just I don't care too much for it. <laughs> I just don't. So, but congratulations nonetheless to the Astros for doing that. So that's the moves that they made, the two major moves. And Trevor Bauer... This, this one took me by surprise, along with the Stroman to the Mets trade, which, which we'll get to. But Trevor Bauer went to the Reds. And the reason I mention all this is because these next two guys, Stroman and Bauer, were both targeted by the Yankees at one point or another. He went to the Reds in a three-way trade involving Cincinnati, 
and the Padres, along, of course, with the Cleveland Indians. And the Indians got a big return from it. It was a big haul. Madison Bumgarner stayed put, of course, as well as Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler in the Mets. None of those three went anywhere. They stayed put with their current teams. But speaking of the Mets, though, as I mentioned earlier, they acquired Marcus Stroman in very unexpected fashion. And according to reports, they offered to flip him to the Yankees, from what I heard, but Cash wasn't on the same page with them. Cashman just... The team demands for these starters are way too high, and I, I guess I understand that, because especially when I heard what the D-backs offered for Robbie Ray, I, I mean, what they wanted for him was preposterous. They wanted Clint Frazier plus three other prospects. I mean, that asking price is through, through the roof. But you have to hand it to the other organizations because they knew that Brian Cashman and the Yankees are desperate for, for some starters, so of course they're going to put their asking price through the roof because they know, hey, they need our guy. We might as well get a, as good a return as we possibly can. So you honestly can't get mad at the other organizations for doing that, you know, doing that sort of a tactic. But like he wasn't with the Mets or the Jays for Stroman, Cashman just wasn't on the same page with anybody, especially with those two. So Stroman went to the Mets, and, you know, he's there now to strengthen their rotation. Because even whether he was a flip piece or not, it's not the way it ended up. He ended up staying with them. And his Mets debut last night, it wasn't it wasn't that great. Just four and a third and allowed three earned runs. Eh, whatever. <laughs> it's a very blah start, whatever. So, despite all this craziness happening, happening the Yanks again, of course, they stayed put... You know, and, and I had my personal feelings with this, and they were they were definitely amplified the day that this was going on because, you know, of course your emotions run rampant, and it, when something first happens, your knee jerk reaction is usually a strong one for most people, not everybody. A lot of people have their emotions in check and good for them, and a lot of others do not. <laughs> a lot of people on Yankees Twitter, including myself, for a little bit, did not. <laughs> so the only move that they really made was acquiring Alfredo Garcia, who so far is a single-A ball pitcher. Not a very good one at that, with a career ERA down there of around 5, if I'm not mistaken. So, my official take on the deadline, I guess, I was really unhappy with the way things unfolded. I, I was. I really wanted the Yankees to get a starter, as did everybody. And I totally understand and hear both sides, I really do. And I know I'm always going on and on about this, oh, I hear both sides of this argument, blah, 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 but I really do. Because upon hearing what Cashman said about the other teams just really driving the asking price too high, I get that, you know, you don't, you don't want to make a bad trade either, because in my opinion, making no trade is better than making a bad trade. I mean, you just don't get rid of Clint Frazier and three other prospects for Robbie Ray. You just don't. Too high of a walk percentage. Gives up a lot of home runs. For Yankee Stadium, that's a formula of disaster, even though I like his strikeout rate. But is that enough for Clint Frazier and three other prospects? Absolutely not. So I, I get that. And apparently for Marcus Stroman, they wanted David Garcia and Estevan Florial. That's a high price. Even though I do agree with when you're in win-now mode, you should not prospect hug. I definitely get that. But you also have to make sure the deals are reasonable. There has to be a balance of some sort. And there just really was no balance with these high asking prices. I mean, it, do, it definitely calmed me down when I heard what most of these teams officially asked for. And when I saw the big haul that the Indians got back in exchange for giving up Trevor Bauer, I was like, uh, all right, I guess I understand. 
So in that sense, it helps you to relax a little bit if you weren't happy with what transpired at the deadline for the Yankees or what didn't transpire, I guess you could say. And again, you can't blame the other teams for for driving the asking price through the roof. It's a good tactic when you're dealing with someone that's desperate for starting pitching, something that you as an organization might have. That's why they just they held all the chips in these negotiations. They held the power. And, but the Yankees did not give in. That's something that Brian Cashman did do a good job at. Now I hear the other side that says even if the asking prices were so high, you know, Cashman could have taken an initiative early on when it came to some guys being free agents like Dallas Keuchel, or maybe even guys that will be free agents like a Garrett Cole, saying that, oh, they could have taken advantage then, but they didn't, this and that, so there are no excuses. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There could have definitely been more things done to acquire solid starting pitching. But it just, it didn't happen that way. And at the moment of this happening, I was furious. I, I There was a, a short time where I was really upset by this. But then upon getting details and really sitting down and thinking about it, when, as they say, when cooler heads prevail, I guess, you know, it's whatever. And if the Yankees don't do it all this year, will this time period cert- be discussed about? Certainly, of course it will. But we'll have to see because last year the Yankees were outpitched and a lot of the time they're just outpitched. And, and also when it came to facing elite pitching, sometimes their offenses came up short. Like they did in Houston in Game 6 and 7 in the 2017 ALCS. It just happened. So that's, that's exactly what I meant by dead silent deadline. Because it was dead silent with the exception of Alfredo Garcia. When I first saw that, I was like, Alfredo, what is this? Is a certain pasta? <laughs> that's the only Alfredo I know of. <laughs> but honestly... Was I really upset by that? Yeah, I guess Cashman just made that move just to make a move. I I don't know. I don't expect that guy to come to be anything. Maybe he will be. Who knows? <laughs> but it was pretty disappointing. And it was unfortunate that it unfolded the way that it did. And you probably felt the energy about like an hour to an hour and a half before the deadline came along. You're like, I don't think anything's happening. That's just That's just the general feeling that at least I got. I don't know about you. But that's the feeling that I got. So, it was unfortunate to go down that way, but I guess I understand, and I still think with all with all the hardships and, and with everything the Yankees have had to go through this year, especially with injuries, as I just touched on before, and with how many pieces this team still has to still get the job done, even with a lot of their main guys on the shelf, I think this team could still do it. I think if Severino comes back solid, which again, it's a big if, I know that, he's been out a while... And who knows if they'll even use him to the same capacity as they were able to last season when he was all healthy. But if he comes back, you could maybe use him for a few innings out of the bullpen. That'll help jack up the bullpen some more. Maybe just have him go four or five innings, maybe. Who knows? If Tanaka finds more consistency, because, of course, in his last few starts, there have been times where he looked uh, really rough. Of course, the start in Boston, when he allowed 12 runs, that really... That put a solid dent in his ERA. That's a big reason why his earned run average just skyrocketed. And Jay Happ has to find some way to get through something as simple as five innings and three runs. I, I mean, I'd be fine with that at that point. He's been such a wreck this year. And Paxton, he just needs to find a way to stop screwing up in the first inning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there have been starts where he's allowed runs outside of the first inning. I'm aware of that. But his earned run average in the first inning is much, much higher than than his earned run averages in all other innings. That's a, that's a fact. 
I mean, I've lost track of how many starts in a row now that he has allowed runs in the first inning. But in his start against Boston a couple of days ago, he did a fine job. He did fine. He allowed the two runs, and that was all, really. He just he coasted after that. After the first, he threw five shutout innings. So the thing that was annoying about Paxton, and I've tried to drive this point home, I've been so hard on him underperforming in particularly because I felt it's more irritating to me when Paxton does bad rather than a Hap, for instance. Because I view Jay Hap as someone that really does not have intimidating stuff. I mean, let's be honest. Jay Hap has a fastball that maybe floats around 91 to, I don't know, 93, 94 miles an hour, maybe. He has a changeup that's just not good. He has a slider that's pretty bad. It's just, and his delivery, there's, there's just, there's nothing intimidating about him. In my opinion, I mean, yeah, he's still a major league pitcher. You have to have a certain amount of skill to be at that level in the first place. I'm not saying he's a total joke, but he, I don't think there's anything anything intimidating about Jay Happ. James Paxton, you realize when you look at him really in-depth, he has the stuff to succeed. That's what I feel is more frustrating than anything. When you know that someone has the potential to do great, and they don't. That's what frustrates me about Paxton. I've always known he has the stuff to do well, but he just doesn't sometimes. Most of the time this year, he has not. Do I believe in him going forward, and do I think he could fix it? Of course. They'll make their adjustments along the way. I'm sure they will. But have I been frustrated with him even more than I have in a hap? Because I know he has what it takes to do well, and he hasn't? Hell yeah! (laughs) Paxton has a really tough fastball, 97, sometimes 98 miles an hour. He's got a real heater on him. He's got a good curveball that he put to much more use in his start against Boston. His slider's pretty good. He's got he's got a cutter that he can if he puts it in the right spot to certain hitters. He got he got punished with it twice against a JD Martinez who loves who loves his cutter low and in. He hit two home runs off it, one in Boston and one here. But if he leaves that cutter in a good location and gets that under pat, you know, if he gets that down pat, that's good. He has four solid pitches to work with. He definitely has the potential. He has the stuff. He just has to make sure he's not pitching through injury like he might have been. He's been having knee problems. And the numbers have the numbers are there if you want to look at them. You know, his numbers before the knee injury and after. They're there and they're obvious. They speak to you very loudly. But you, you still do know that, you know, he still has the potential to do it with his stuff. He does. And that's what makes it frustrating when he does poorly. And plus, you have CC Sabathia, who again is on the injured list because of his knee. Who he said the pain was at a ten, and he hasn't felt that kind of pain this year when he's hit the injured list because of his knee. So that can't be that great. And even when he's on the mound, sure he's giving you starts when he goes six innings, maybe a tiny, tiny bit more than that. He's giving you good starts, but you don't know what he's, what you're going to get out of him. He's not the same CC as years ago. We all know that. That's common sense at this point. Will he still give you a solid start? Yeah, of course. And I like CeCe. You guys all know I like CeCe. But you can't rely on him like you like you used to be able to rely on him. It's just a fact. Even I can face that reality. I'm a, and I'm a CeCe supporter. So, you look at this rotation, you got a lot of question marks here. And Domingo Herman, you know, he's got to be around the innings limit by now if not approaching it or not, if not already there. He had another great start his last time out. You know, and, and Herman's great, but who knows? They'll have to change his role eventually with his innings limit, of course. We'll have to see what happens. But given these rotation facts, 
I really wanted them to pick up someone at the deadline. They didn't. But if everything falls the right way, which, let's be honest, in 2019, a lot of things have fallen the Yankees' way. A lot. Then things should be fine with the pitching. They have the potential to be. And I even wish that they maybe even jacked up the bullpen a little bit more for the deadline, but they didn't do that either. But again, a Severino coming back or maybe something like that, you know, maybe jacks up the bullpen a little bit more. He and Batances are on the track of coming back. Dylan Batances would certainly be a great addition to put back out there. So again, a lot of this going forward has, it's reasoning for just saying, you know, things have to fall correctly, but if they do, then things can work out. So I think with a lot of this, Time is going to tell. I mean, time will tell when it comes to anything in this life. I mean, that's obvious. But a lot of this, time will tell how things work out. So a lot of it just has to do with patience. Let's be a little bit patient. Because right now, the Yankees on the verge of sweeping Boston potentially tonight if they get this game underway because it is 7.40 right now and they still haven't had the game yet because it's raining over in the Bronx. Here on Long Island where I live, it's it's not raining at all. It's beautiful outside. It's weird. But... So I have the tarp on the field right now. I have ESPN on mute, which is a great thing because I can't, cannot stand ESPN commentary. But I had the TV on right next to me, so I will keep taking glances over it, over to it as the podcast goes along. So again, despite all this trade deadline nonsense, <laughs> and, you know, of course, as I said, I still do believe in this team very, very much. The Yanks have still managed to still have a solid, solid weekend against Boston, which will lead up to... Once we do our re- weekly recap, let's do the weekly recap. Now, since I haven't been here in two weeks, I know I will not do a two-week recap because we'll be here until tomorrow morning, but I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. We're just going to, as always, just recap the last week as I usually do here on Yapping Yankees. So we're going to start with the game in Arizona. So let's, let us start with the new week, of course, because Sunday, last Sunday against Boston, was part of that, and that was the one game the Yankees managed to pull out of that series, 9-6. to That was a pretty brutal weekend, but at least the Yankees were able to leave with the victory. So they had the day off on Monday, then they would finally return home to the Bronx to face the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, if you remember earlier in the season, way, way earlier, the Yankees got swept by them in a two-game series in Arizona. The Yankees had some trouble against them, and that trouble continued quite a bit in the third game against them, the first game here in Yankee Stadium on Tuesday because the Yankees would lose by a score of 4-2. to two. Jay Happ started this game, and right away in the first inning, Happ would allow a run on, on a sack fly by Adam Jones, who's over in Arizona now, of course, as you know, giving the Diamondbacks a one to nothing lead. Then Christian Walker would hit a solo shot to make it 2 nothing. Then Nick Ahmed would drive in an RBI single to make it 3 nothing, And at this point, the game was just unbelievably boring. There was nothing going on in the game. It was probably one of the more boring games of 2019, if you want me to be honest with you. It was really, it was tough to get through. I was on vacation, but I was keeping track through my phone, and I was able to catch it on TV here and there. So, it was it was a rough one. Then Encarnacion had an RBI double to make it 3-1 to one Diamondbacks, and then right away with Sessa pitching, Carson Kelly would answer right back with a solo shot to make it 4-1 to one D-backs. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Tyler Wade, who was called up, shockingly hit a home run. You know, Tyler Wade, obviously not known for the bat. He's more known for his speed, base running, defense, etc. But he went deep with a solo shot to right field to make it 4-2, to and that was the score that the Yankees would lose to, to the Diamondbacks, of course. So then Wednesday came around, 
and you're like, all right, the Yankees just have to salvage a game against the Diamondbacks this year. They're not that great. I mean, they have their aspects of their team that are respectable, but they're, the Yankees have to win a game against them. Come on. So it got off to a good start in the second game against them. In the bottom of the second, Mike Talkman, who has been absolutely raking, hit a two-run shot to put them up to nothing. the Yankees in the bottom of the second. And again, Talkman just doing such a great job. I mean, everywhere. Defensively, he's been strong. Offensively, he's been very strong, getting huge hits for the Yankees lately. And then Eduardo Escobar, he hit into a force-out, driving a run home, making it 2-1 to one Yankees. And then it would be 3-2 to two after a Jake Lamb sack fly and then a throwing error by Aaron Hicks, which would drive in two runs on the sack fly. And it would be 3-2 Diamondbacks. And I remember... I was actually touring Lambeau Field on the Wednesday when this happened. I was taking peeks at my phone, and I saw that, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Come on, win a game against these guys. But then, in the bottom of the seventh, Austin Romine, who's been a solid backup for Gary Sanchez since Gary Sanchez hit the IL again, of course. He hit a go-ahead two-run shot in the bottom of the seventh, very clutch, with Mike Talkman on base to make it 4-3 to three Yankees. And then it was 5-3 after DD had an RBI ground out. And Glaber Torres, an RBI double, made it 6-3, and the Yankees are starting to pile on now. Cameron Mabin, who returned from the injured list as well, it's been good to have him back. He hit an RBI single to make it 7-3. And then Tim LaCastro would just add a home run on the top of the ninth to make it 7-4 Yankees in that. And then one more run would be scored also off Chapman in the top of the ninth. He's, he was looking a little bit shaking, shaky lately, but against Boston, he seems to have... You know, found his stride again. In the last couple of outings, he's looked good again, Chapman. But for a while there, he was looking a little shaky. And then, as I said, David Peralta added on another run with an RBI double to make it 7-5 Yankees. And I was like, okay, just close out the game, please. (laughs) But Chapman would close it out. And the Yankees would win 7-5, splitting the two-game series and losing the season series to Arizona three games out of four. So then... They had an off day on Thursday, so two off days in a week, which the Yankees have not had since the deadline, and before that, God knows when. The Yankees haven't had many off days, and they're in a long stretch right now. I believe I heard as of yesterday, the day before, they're playing 19 games in 17 days because they had the doubleheader against Boston yesterday. Then they have another doubleheader coming up, I believe, on August 9th. So they have a lot of games going forward and and no off days, really. So then on Friday, two days ago, Boston came to town. Yankees looking for revenge for the weekend prior because, of course, as I mentioned, last weekend against Boston was a train wreck. So, Boston coming to town. Yankees looking for revenge. Boston hoping to really continue to gain some ground in the AL East. And the Yankees, of course, if they did well in this series, they would, for the most part, probably just bury the Red Sox and their chances to win the division at least. They're still in the running for the wild card, but it's not looking pretty there either. But for the division, they'd be pretty much done. So, James Paxton started this game. I was out at dinner with my lovely girlfriend on Friday night while this was going on. And then the top of the first came around. You know James Paxton in the first inning, right? Because he allowed a two-run homer in the first inning to J.D. Martinez. And guess what? It was on another cutter loan in. J.D. Martinez's wheelhouse for Paxton's cutter, apparently. <laughs> It just seems to be that way. So then the Red Sox jump out in front, two to nothing, and I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. But then the bottom of the first comes around, and it would be like an instant, an instant rebuttal, 
because Glaber Torres, with the bases loaded, would hit a grand salami to make it 4-2 to two Yankees. And then guess what, guys? That was all the scoring that would be done. The next eight innings, no scoring would happen. The Yankees win the game 4-2. to two. <laughs> So that's an eventful first game, right? And it went unusually fast, way under three hours, which I don't know if you guys have a lot of experience with the Yankees and Red Sox games in the past. I assume you do. But for the most part, Yankees and Red Sox games usually run very long. Usually a lot of, you know, a lot of resistance met with scoring going back and forth, and that usually extends the game time. A lot of Yankees-Red Sox games fall within, like, the three-and-a-half to four-hour range, or in the three to three-and-a-half-hour range. It's just usually longer than your standard ball game. But this game was much quicker. So, two-run shot by J.D. Mar- JD Martinez and a grand slam by Glaber Torres. That's all it took. And Torres has just been unbelievably heated up lately. He has been red hot. I mean, you see him just perfectly turning on pitches up and in now and just really getting the bat head out there and and really doing some damage to the baseball. I mean, he's really getting it done. So then, of course, uh, yesterday, Saturday, the Yankees had a doubleheader because months ago, the Yankees and Red Sox were rained out in Yankee Stadium. So one of these games was the makeup game. Remember, it got got postponed to August 3rd. So this was the day for the doubleheader. And in the first game, there was a lot of action. Right away, in the bottom of the first inning. The first first game was a good matchup. Chris Sale against Domingo Herman. And of course, Chris Sale has had his struggles against the Yankees. And oh boy, did they continue yesterday. Right away in the bottom of the first, DJ, solo shot. 1-0 Yankees. Immediately answered by Andrew Benintendi, crushed a hanging curveball to right center field in the top of the second to tie the game, a solo shot at one. And Bravik Valera, bottom of the fourth. Now, we saw this kid again very briefly a couple of months back, and he looked to be pretty good. I mean, of course, better options out there, you assume, in the Yankee farm, but he did his job on Saturday because the bases loaded, big situation against Chris Sale, he hit a rocket RBI single to right field to drive in a run. Give the Yankees a lead 2-1. to one. And honestly, Bravik Valera started an inning which would see a lot of runs tacked on by the Yankees. Brett Gardner would follow it up with a two-run single to make it 4-1 to one Yankees. And DJ LeMay, who would just cap off the murderous inning with a three-run shot to make it 7-1 Yankees. Now, at this point, they were just in control of the game. Then Edwin... RBI single, adding insult to injury. No pun intended with the injury. 8-1. <laughs> to one. And now, at this point, you know, of course, this would just really be the end of the game, really. Not the final score, but you, you knew that the game was over. Jackie Bradley would tack on a run for the Red Sox with a solo shot to make it 8-2. And the top of the 8th, and then in the top of the 5th, rather. Then the, then the bottom of the 6th, the Yankees would answer back, adding on another run on an RBI single, by Encarnacion, another RBI for him. And of course, we know Encarnacion, another guy who has joined the injured list with a fractured wrist out three to five weeks. It's a bit of a tough loss because he was hot as well. So that made it 9-2, and that would be the score that the Yankees win by in game one. And Herman was able to give them seven innings, and that's definitely a good thing because you preserve the bullpen for the second game. And speaking of the bullpen in the second game, it would start being used immediately because the Yankees used an opener. They used Chad Green, and of course, as we Yankee fans know, 
the Yankees have seen great success with Chad Green in the opener role this year so far. So why not do it again? So the nightcap comes around, and quite frankly, Chad Green again, top of the first inning, really dominant. He gets two strikeouts and a pop out, and that's it. Really, really simple, dominant first inning for Green. And he got into a little bit of trouble in the second in which he was taken out. He allowed a leadoff walk, I believe, and then he was immediately taken out by Boone. And Nestor Cortez Jr. came in, finished off the top of the second. And then Cortez Jr. would come out again for the third inning. Because again, in a lot of instances this year, as we've seen, Chad Green and Nestor Cortez Jr. just seem to have been born for this. Chad Green, then Nestor Cortez Jr. after him. This sort of opener, then follow-up role. It's worked out very well for the parts of the season where the opener has been used for them. So, Nestor Cortez Jr. got into a little bit of trouble in the top of the third. He allowed a, he allows a two-run homer to Rafael Devers. It was a bomb on a fastball to right center field to put the Red Sox up 2-0. And then Glaber would answer back with a solo shot in the bottom of the third, staying hot. That was his 22nd of the year. And it's 2-1 Boston. And then Cameron Mabin. Two-run double to make it 3-2 to two Yankees. Puts them out in front. Immediate response. And that's a big chunk of what's been so fun with this Yankee team so far and why Boston has had so much trouble in Yankee Stadium this weekend because it just seems like whatever Boston does, the Yankees say, hey, whatever you can do, I can do better. So the Yankees again hit right back right after they jumped out in front 2-0 on the Devers two-run shot. But then again, Chance Adams came in. After, after Cortez Jr. got into some trouble in the fourth, Chance Adams came in and he gave up a two-run single to Mookie Betts to make it 4-3 Boston jumping back out in front. And I, I actually tweeted this yesterday and I got a lot of answers from it and everything. And, and I know I did, you know, because, uh, I, and I expected to, because, you know, the, the, the topic of Chance Adams a couple of years ago is real hot. Because Chance Adams was like that next big thing, at least it sounded like from the scouts in the Yankee system. And of course, if you know anything about Chance Adams, you know that he's had his injury troubles in the past. And it just seems like since those injuries, he just not he's he's hasn't been the same. He just comes up here, his stuff isn't that impressive. He doesn't overmatch hitters, and he just seems pretty disappointing. And I brought up that point, and basically everybody agreed with me, and of course they cited the injuries and everything, which I already knew, obviously. And it's a shame because he was supposed to be the next big thing, but or at least a next big thing. But, you know, how many times do you have to see the guy before you realize, hey, and it's unfortunate, maybe he could, maybe he could turn it around, who knows. But, you know, it's, it just comes to a point where you're like, how many more times do we have to see somebody before we just realize that maybe he doesn't have his stuff anymore. But then regardless, moving along, tying the game at four with his 23rd home run of the year, Glaber Torres another home run. A solo shot and a fly ball to left. And then... What would be the last two runs driven in on the day? Mike Talkman, two-run single as he stays red hot with the bat. He puts the Yankees back out in front 6-4, to four, and that is the score that the Yankees would win by. And here we are, all caught up to tonight's game. The final game of the four-game set in New York against the Red Sox. The Yankees looking for the sweep to officially, I think it's fair to say, bury the Boston Red Sox. If you look at those ALE standings, the Red Sox are 13 and a half games back now. Yes, there's still baseball to be played. Nobody's denying that. But do you like your odds when you're 14 and a half games out if they lose tonight? 
I'm not sure I do. So, but the Tampa Bay Rays still find themselves seven and a half back. So they're still in it. But this was the opportunity for the Red Sox to really gain ground because on top of what they did to the Yankees in Boston last weekend, they slowed down hard after they lost that last game to the Yankees. I mean, the Red Sox are on a losing streak right now. They've lost seven in a row in, in risk of losing eight in a row tonight. This is a big chance in the season because now the Yankees and Red Sox barely see each other for the rest of the year. When you face your opponent head-on, you obviously have a much bigger chance of making of gaining divisional ground. And that's why when things are much closer, I saw the Red Sox as a more intimidating opponent for a brief while because over the Rays rather because the Red Sox faced the Yankees more a little bit going forward at the time about a week or two ago. They had much more of an opportunity to gain ground. They had eight upcoming games against the Yankees. But now that they blew the opportunity this weekend and they went on a huge losing streak after the Yankees salvaged that last game last weekend, chances are looking pretty grim. And even if you look at the wild card, I mean, Boston's six games out of the second wild card. Even that's a mountain to climb. So it's not looking good for them, especially if they lose tonight. So they definitely do have to go out there and have a good game, no doubt about it. And the Yankees, they look for their 72nd win on the year. And the Red Sox just look to salvage a game. But the Rays are still right there, even though the Yankees don't play the Rays very much more this year for the rest of the year either. So the Yankees' divisional lead, if you ask me right now, you know, with the exception of if the Yankees just utterly collapse going forward, which doesn't look very likely the way that they continue to play now, especially how they've rebounded since the disastrous Boston weekend when they pulled that last game out. doesn't look very likely. But unless they just utterly collapse, this division lead is pretty damn safe to me, if you ask me. Because they, they hardly have any more head-to-head games against neither the Rays nor the Red Sox. But going into tonight, still waiting for this game to start. I have ESPN on still right now next to me on mute. The Yankees still, the Yankees and Red Sox still haven't started because they say they're still delayed from rain. It still must be raining in the Bronx. But I'll give you the lineups for tonight. I was hoping to be recording the podcast while the game went on so you could hear me react to the game live a little bit because usually when I record Yapping Yankees on a Sunday, it's after a day game because most because most, ga- most games on a Sunday are day games, of course. And th- most of them are 1 o'clock games or, or 4 o'clock game. But of course, the Yankees and the Red Sox, so they, so they have ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. And I was hoping to have some reactions to it live while doing the podcast. But they're not on, so you can thank the rain for that. I'm pretty entertaining to hear live while the game's going on. So you guys can you know curse out the rain if you'd like, because you're not going to get it, because the podcast is almost over. But... I will give you the lineups for tonight for both teams before we look at what's ahead coming for the Yankees the next week ahead. So, I'll give you the Boston lineup first, of course. In right field, batting first is Mookie Betts. Rafael Devers follows batting second at third. Xander Bogarts bats third at shortstop. And in the cleanup spot is J.D. Martinez. He's DHing. Sam Travis is batting fifth at first. And Andrew Benintendi is batting sixth in left field. Batting 7th is Christian Vasquez. He's catching. Batting 8th is Michael Chavis at 2nd base. And rounding out the lineup at batting ninth, Jackie Bradley Jr., he is in center. And, of course, the man who has struggled many times in the past against the Yankees, especially in Yankee Stadium, pitching for the Red Sox, is none other than left-hander David 
Price. And now for the Yankees, you have leading off very, very strange lineup for the Yankees today. I mean, between giving LeMahieu a night off and and just the recent injuries that have been occurring, it's almost like the the May team is back. <laughs> the next man up lineup is back, making somewhat of a return. Because you have you have Romine having the night off, you have DJ having the night off, pretty wild. So here's the Yankee lineup: Glaber Torres, he's leading off, and he's at second base. After him, batting second is Aaron Judge. He's DHing. Didi Gregorius. Didi's batting third at shortstop. Gio Urshela. He's batting cleanup at third base. And following him, batting fifth is Brett Gardner. He's He will be in center field in place of the injured Aaron Hicks. Batting sixth in place of the DHing Judge in right field is Cameron Mabin. And batting seventh for the first time in a while at first base. We are seeing Mike Ford because, of, of course, both Yankee first basemen, both Encarnacion and Luke Voigt, are on the injured list right now. So you got Mike Ford over there taking things up again at first, just like he did a while back. Batting eighth is Kyle Higashioka. He's catching. And batting ninth is Mike Talkman, the red-hot Mike Talkman in left field. Quite a lineup, huh? Call me crazy. I still think they could do it. <laughs> And of course, pitching is left-hander Jay Happ. Happ is eight and six with a five nineteen ERA. Pretty brutal, but we'll see how he makes out against the Red Sox tonight. Who knows? Maybe we'll do well. We'll see. But now that we now that we have the lineups, and I'm still looking at at ESPN, they have a live feed of it seems it's the ninth inning of the Padres and Dodgers game right now. The Padres are leading ten to nine, but they're having a little bit of trouble closing out the Dodgers in the bottom of the ninth. So, while I continue to wait for the Yankee game to come on, it looks like, unfortunately, it's just not going to start before the podcast ends because I only have a couple of minutes left. But looking ahead after tonight is over, whether the Yankees sweep the Red Sox or just take the series three out of four, going forward, the Yankees Yankees schedule the next couple of days definitely seems to lighten up a bit. Starting tomorrow, Monday, August 5th, they will play the Baltimore Orioles. They are heading to Camden Yards, and of course... We all know how well the Yankees play in Camden Yards. So, they will be playing the Orioles tomorrow night at 7.05 p.m. Eastern. And then on Tuesday, they will do the same at the Orioles at Camden Yards at 7.05. And on Wednesday, they will also be in Camden Yards also at 7.05. So, a three-game series against the Orioles on the road. So, that'll, that'll be that. And then on Thursday... They will stay on the road, but move on to Toronto. They will face the Blue Jays on the road, starting time 7.07 p.m. Eastern for Thursday night. Then on Friday, of course, they're in Toronto again for another 7.07 p.m. Eastern time start. And then on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, a weird start time for this game. Yankees and Blue Jays will be playing each other at 3.07 Eastern. So 3 o'clock, kind of odd. And then on Sunday, they will cap off the four-game series against the Blue Jays with a game at 1.07 p.m. Eastern. And then on Monday, they actually come back home. No, it's actually August 12th. This is the day where they have the doubleheader. My bad. I thought it was August 9th. No, August 9th is a random game against the Blue Jays. (laughs) The doubleheader is on August 12th against the Orioles at Yankee Stadium. So... That is when the doubleheader will take place, and that is what's ahead for the Yankees this upcoming week. 
So a lot happened, of course. That's why this episode is much longer than usual. At come, it's probably going to clock in at almost 55 minutes. It's a long one. But there's been a lot to talk about. Missed two weeks. I mean, it's a good thing I didn't do a two-week recap. Otherwise, this episode would probably be closer to an hour and a half. <laughs> so, a lot to talk about this week. A lot to get through with the, with the deadline having passed by while I was away. And just a lot of discussion based on the last week of Yankee baseball. How much of a disaster it was last weekend in Boston. But how they've rebounded against them and rebounded overall as they've returned to Yankee Stadium. What's ahead for them and just all of that good stuff. And before I go, I did hold polls. I did hold polls. So I, I did get to do that. I didn't forget about it. I did yapping Yankee polls today. And I'm going to get to them right now to give you some results. I did a poll on Yankee. It's the same poll, but I did it on Yankee's Twitter. And I also, also did it on my Instagram story. So the poll was, will the Yankees sweep tonight? And the game hasn't happened yet. So at the time you're listening to this podcast, whenever you listen to it, the game hasn't happened yet. So, you know, we're not saying anything after the fact. The game has not started yet. It's past 8 o'clock now. (laughs) So, will the Yankees sweep tonight? The two choices, hell yes. (laughs) And the second choice is no. Hard to sweep four games. Which it is. 84% said hell yes. So very confident in the fact that the Yankees will sweep tonight. If this rain screws off. (laughs) And the second choice, no, hard to sweep four games, only had 16% of the vote. So, a percentage of Yankees Twitter clearly confident in the fact that the Yankees will sweep tonight. Let's check in on the Instagram story. Let's see what people are thinking on there. So, 100 people have seen the story. A lot of people have voted. Let's see the results. So, right now, I assume people will continue to vote as time goes along. So the the Instagram poll came out to this. Do the Yankees sweep the Red Sox tonight? 81% said yes. And only 19% said no. So we have two social media platforms filled with people that seem to be very confident that the Yankees are going to sweep tonight. So there's your outcome, people. You have spoken. You apparently think, or most of you apparently think, that the Yankees will sweep the Red Sox tonight. So that is that. So with that said, that is the end of episode seven of Yapping Yankees, guys. I'd like to thank you so much for listening as always. Be sure, as always, to follow me on all social media, my Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. That is one of the pages I, of course, post the Yapping Yankees links to for you to listen back. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter, most of all, because I'm disgustingly active on there. Also coming up on 1,700 followers on there, which is very cool. Be sure to follow me on there, at Mike Scudero. And always be sure to, again, DM me with any any questions that you have, comments, concerns, anything that you want to talk to me about and you want mentioned on the podcast. You'll also get a shout-out if you do so. Just DM me on Twitter, at Mike Scudero. I promise I don't bite. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram, at MikeScuds97. I am also, this will be a weekly thing as well. I will continue to do my Twitter poll for all baseball fans to vote on. I will continue to do the poll that I usually only put on Twitter. I will continue to put that on Instagram as well. So if you want to vote on both of those, be sure you're following me on both Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, once again, at Mike Scudero. And on Instagram, MikeScuds97. So the polls will be there every week from now on. And also, one more thing that I was told. I had a complaint from somebody, not not for the 
for the content of the podcast or because they don't think it was good or anything like that. But there were a couple of people that said they were experiencing some troubles with SoundCloud, which of course is the platform that I upload this podcast to. And then I usually put the link on my social medias for you to listen back to. It links you to SoundCloud. But I got a couple of complaints saying that they had some troubles with it. So I'm going to start looking into other platforms to upload this podcast to along with SoundCloud. I've been looking into Apple Podcasts because that was one of them recommended to me. So I'll keep on looking into that. And before long, I guarantee I'll have this podcast also available to you on other platforms for podcasts as well. Maybe Spotify, maybe Apple Podcasts, still be on SoundCloud regardless. So there'll be other means to listen to it. And I'm still I'm still trying to brainstorm and figure out a way to get this thing on YouTube as well. So just, just bear with me and be patient. I'm still trying to get this thing off the ground 100%. So, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But just know that I'm looking into it, all right? And also, just before we go, I want to give one last shout out in gratitude to Team Left Jabs and say feature Yapping Yankees on their social medias as well. So be sure. As I said in the beginning of the show, to follow Team Left Jab, United Radio Network. Find Team Left Jab across all social media platforms at Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. So be sure to check them out, guys. So once again, thank you so, so much for listening. I'll talk to you next Sunday, August 11th, when I come at you with Episode 8 of Yapping Yankees. With me, of course, your host, Mike Scudero. Have a great week, guys, and as always, enjoy Yankees baseball and enjoy the game tonight. Take care.